Hello, and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just seen the latest Saw film. Saw X. How many of these have you seen? Uh, I've seen them all. Oh. Um, (laughs) I mean, it was 2004 when the first one came out. Um, And so I would have been uh, 16. And, you know, we went to see the cinema, I think... um, against the law but such of these things you know i was a, <laughs> I was a rebel in my younger days huh. um and you know we just love these things you know this is also the era of like torture porn and these fit these into are it very to, tortury these fit into it to a to a degree although the films that really um got called torture porn and define it were the hostile films um, but these definitely fit into it i always thought these were better than that and they've had a much longer life mm. so the saw franchise um, has not had 10 films, as the title suggests. It's had, um, uh, well, what have we had? We've had Saws 1, 2, 6, then Saw 3D was 7. Oh, no, it is the 10th. Jigsaw Spiral Saw 10. Mm. Okay, fair enough. I thought I thought they were more spin-off-y, but they've just been given different titles, Jigsaw and Spiral. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's the 10th then. Uh, the 10th in, in nearly 20 years. I'm obviously, I'm familiar with them. Um, and I think we, when we saw Jigsaw and Spiral on the podcast, you know, one of your key questions both times was, what's the appeal of these? <laughs> um, do you see some appeal in these that you maybe hadn't before after seeing this? Uh, it's very... I th- would start by saying I think this is the best one I've seen for a while, maybe since the first one. Okay. Uh, no, I kind of... I. I get that. I mean, I was thinking how much better it was than uh, A Hunting in Venice. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't like to be tortured like this. And I kind of... Um, like, like I, I, I don't get the appeal of it, right? So, mm-hmm. so as I was watching it, I thought, oh, this is so good. The, the whole beginning with the cancer and the finding a place and... You know, I Mm. thought kind of, this is really good. You know, I was surprised, right? Mm. And I was kind of wondering what was going to happen. So that was kind of, I suppose, you know, what I liked the most. It had a kind of a very, I don't know, tired, defeated, wistful air to it, the whole beginning. Yeah. Mm. Um, So so I liked that. Then I kind of understood the rest, right? But I thought the film cheated. And I, I understand that it's part of the whole series of making retribution into an ethic. Yeah, kind of making people choose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the yeah. jigsaw killer's kind of key um, modus operandi is that he puts people in situations where they can sacrifice relatively small things to save their own lives. And it's in order to uh, have a chance at redemption yeah. for some wrong that they've committed. So, so I thought that was all, to me, very badly weighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the you time... felt that they, they were too unfair. Yeah, yeah. The... I thought the time limits were a bit severe. I thought the time limits were severe. I thought, okay, now we're entering spoiler territory. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, I thought the people who had contributed to the crime, and we'll talk about what the crime is later, that people who had done very minor things were shown to suffer greatly mm. and terribly. Right then, a person who is quasi innocent is basically killed. And then the two worst perpetrators are given a relatively easy death, I think. Mm. Yeah, which I thought, like, 
That's yeah. not fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. But you got into the you got into the the sort of morality of the film enough to start judging its morality. Yeah. Sure. No. We're, you know, kind of. Yeah. I mean, those are the film's terms. So exactly. I think you know you have to judge it on that, right? Because I think uh, it's very possible to look at this, you know, and go, "This is just all awful and wrong," and so. Yeah. And but no, you're playing the game with it, you know. And, and I thought there were some things that were just unthought through, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, again moving forward very quickly, but at the end, when they give the child the money, mm. right, I thought, stupid? Like, mm. you know, this is practically a, a Mexican, uh, a homeless Mexican child, and you're giving him the money, it's going to disappear in three days, the family will take it over, and, you know, kind of... Well, I thought, I thought, A, it's American money, what's he going to do with it? And B... No, no, that's not an issue in Mexico. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, and B, uh, I mean, like, someone would just murder him for it in the way. Uh, exactly. You see a little kid carrying a big bag... I mean, he'll have it for like two minutes, right? Yeah. So, you know, at least kind of, I don't know, give him a trust fund or something when he turns 21. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he's got the skills to do it, right? Yeah. You know, so, but I thought that was kind of, so So those were all kind of my my problems with the film. The other bits were the tortury bits. I mean, so I love the first dreamlike torture sequence, the one that doesn't really happen, but it could have happened. Mm. Right. I love the way that it was designed. And I, yeah, I kind of, you know, I love the, um, the fingers, you know, being twisted and the eyes coming off, you know, <laughs> because I did love it because it wasn't fleshy. And there's, there's something then about, you know, the, the other torture, which is like drilling your brain or cutting your leg, your own leg or, mm. There was just there was just too much flesh and blood. And, I did see you having physical yeah, responses, yeah. hands in front of the face. You weren't. Off. I I didn't like it. Yeah, you know. Uh, so you know, if you're a fan of that, though, I don't understand why people are fans of that. I had a huge smile on my face throughout okay. all the because yeah. I was thinking to myself, "Oh, this is what I want to see." And what, <laughs> <laughs> I really, Someone drilling their brain. <laughs> I really was. Um, I, I remember one of the complaints I had with uh, Spiral, which was the more spin-offy one with um, Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. Mm. One of the complaints I had was, where is the death in this? We're taking a long time to get to the death and something similar is going on here. But when we get to it, it's really satisfying. Mm. Um, and I don't remember thinking that it was that, that satisfying. Um, I think it's all really in, in Spiral. Mm. But that, that has always been one of the key attractions. And the thing about the early, the early death you mentioned that you liked, it's a key feature of these films that they open with... Uh, a death that is almost free of context. Mm. You know, it's like it's the set piece that opens the film. Someone's strapped to a chair, and and you know they they always die straight mm. away, right? Uh, the, the the joke here that is made of it is really fun. I loved it when uh, it's revealed that it's actually something that Jigsaw is imagining he will do. And when the guy makes the correct moral decision in real life, he says, "Good choice." Mm. I mean, what a great joke, you know, and, and a really nice way to start the film off. Um, so yeah, the the key strength of the Saw films, I think, is Tobin Bell. Who yes, plays, he's wonderful. Who plays Kramer Jigsaw? He's absolutely wonderful. And I loved his face, like you know, the beginning when he's diagnosed with cancer, and uh, you know his acceptance of it. Then you know, thinking that he's found a solution, you know, kind of. Um, I, I I I thought he he. He was very believable mm. and kind of, you know, there's a sad resignation kind of to him that I really loved in that. And in 2004, when they made the first film, basically all he was needed for 
was a few flashback scenes that you're not really meant to notice him in because you, you don't know at the time that he is Jigsaw. Mm. Um, and then t- he just lies on the floor in this large bathroom between the two actors for the whole film, pretending to be dead. And it's only at the end when he gets up, you realise, oh, this was the game all along, here he is. And that's all he was needed for. Right. right? Then the film becomes a ridiculous success. I mean, these films have low budgets and have made cumulatively more than a billion dollars. Um, and so he is brought back. But by the end of the third film, he's dead. Right. I mean, he, he has he has terminal cancer. Um, he's not going to survive that for very long and the films kill him off. And then you're thinking, you know, is it going to go all Freddy Krueger or mm. Halloween or whatever and bring him back? And su- Nothing supernatural in these things. He is dead. But the film, had the, the, the series had, you know, lucked out that this actor was very good and charismatic and sold the role well and all that kind of thing. They needed ways to keep him in, in the story. So the... There would often be flashbacks with him, you know, fleshing mm. out his story more and more in subsequent films. And the films would often tease that Jigsaw was still alive. And there'd be the police investigation following the various murders happening, the various traps. And then it would ultimately turn out that Jigsaw was not alive. And um, one of his protégés was doing this, mm. right? But the film kept on teasing that he was there and kept on giving you snatches of him still. It had to. He was wonderful. Mm. This film is pure prequel. It's not pretending anything. There's no complicated... Which, is, which to me was actually really lovely to realise that's what it was doing. Because um, some of the latter Saw films um, get really heavy on the convolutions. Particularly, I think Saw 5 was just so heavy on the convolutions of the various characters who were kind of the copycats or the protégés and trying to take on Jigsaw's mantle and so on and so forth. And it's just got a bit of the... Mm. And also none of them were as good as Tobin Bell. They weren't as much fun to watch and so on. Um, so I was really glad to realise that this film was just going, this is just set previous to all of that fucking nonsense. Mm. Jigsaw's just alive. And I think this is set just after the first saw. He's had his diagnosis. We see him getting his diagnosis. Mm. Um, and he's also, um, spoiler territory, um, He's also gained Amanda as his key protege, who he gains in the first couple of films. Um, that's someone who um, he had in a trap, and she escaped, and she joined him. Mm. Right? So we see her here, and um, it's clearly kind of early on in their relationship as well, because she is having issues with whether they should be as harsh as they are going to be to uh, Gabriella, the person who you say is... Um, you know, almost innocent in this. You know, mm. not as um, deeply into the con as as the others, not as mm. deserving of punishment. And one of the things that bothered me about the film was that it could be seen as quite racist. Yeah. So everybody who's black or Mexican dies gruesome deaths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody who's white is either the protagonist <laughs> or you know the. Well, the protagonist in both sense, because the villain is played by, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but Sinov Makodi Lund, who I remembered seeing on television, Ragnarok. Right. Uh, she's the mother of um, the villains in Ragnarok. Uh, and who's also been in Headhunters, which we've seen, but which I now can't remember, you know, what uh, what her particular role is. But of course, she's, uh, you know, the absolute, like, Scandinavian stereotype, the cheekbones, the blonde, the... Yeah, and she's the villainess, and you know she dies a yeah a 
I kind of well, she, I, she doesn't die. She she's the one who lives. Ah. In that in that room filling with gas. Okay. She kills her accomplice. Um, and she's the one who manages to live. I mean, I'll, that's the reason that I hung around in the credits because I thought, is there going to be some final way I actually see her? But I thought it's indicated that somehow she will also die because, you know, she's out breathing, but the room is exploding or gas or radiation. It's so. filling with that nerve gas, which is what kills the other fella. Um, I, when, when Jigsaw says one of you, only one of you can live, mm. um, only one of you can live. Yes, only one, one of you can of you live. Will live. But um, he's the kind of character who like really means what he says, and all the words mean something. He doesn't really lie. Mm. So, and the indication to me was that we're not just going to assume that she is stuck there forever. But we also don't see a good way for her to get out. We don't. I don't think we see the door unlock. So, all right. I don't well, know. in any case, you know, it supports my suspicion that if you look at the film kind of structurally. Isn't it interesting that like. You know, kind of, it's all the Mexicans die really gruesome deaths, right? You know, then the whitest person in the whole thing lives, you know. And then, like, you know, just whilst you were thinking everything was okay, they go get the black guy at the very end, right? <laughs> yeah. So, kind of, yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. uh, that didn't sit very well with, with me. Um, On the other hand, something that I thought was... Isn't it nice to see an American film showing Mexico as somewhere kind of nice? Mexico is so typically the place where drugs come from, crime comes from. We go there and it's all hellish and horrible. And of course, in Mexico is where all this action ends up taking place. But the whole opening of this film, in which there is hope built for, for Jigsaw that he might have this miraculous cancer cure, you know, he's, he's sent to Mexico to a really beautiful uh, yeah, sort of um, villa on, you know, like in the countryside, and we and we don't see loads of it. We're concentrating on the characters, but we see enough of it. To well, well before you overreg the pudding, you know, there's a there's a kidnap express in the middle of it. There is. So. <laughs> well, it's a kidnap express that is also um, organized by. I know, but but actually, the joke or the surprise or the suspense yeah. of that moment. Is based on the expectation that oh yes, those kinds of kidnappings happen all the time. And yes, yeah, I, I, I understand. Um, um, but I still, I thought that it was it was surprising to see an American film, particularly a cheapish one, go to Mexico and not have it just immediately be torture. You know, um, I don't know. I'm kind of you know, I I don't want to give it too much credit in that regard. Um, but that opening act is where I think the film. Um, actually becomes elevated among so many of the others because I, I really want to give credit actually to um, uh, Kevin Grutert, or Grutert, I don't know how exactly you pronounce his name, who's directed a few Saw films before and he edited them and things. Um, he's the director of this. And I want to give credit to him for making the decision that the film can be light and kind of nice to look at. One of the criticisms that we had, again, particularly of Spiral, I don't remember it quite so much of Jigsaw, is that it was ugly. Mm. And I said to you that these films do have a look um, and that it did kind of fit into them, but it's, it was very unpleasant and grimy and nasty. And it had no kind of, it had no alteration of tone in that. It wasn't like sometimes things might, like the police department, mm. you know, might look clean and looked after, but then the dirty factory where all the killings take place is grimy. There was no, there was no, um, no variance of tone. Here there is, and and then even when you get into 
um, the the disused factory where all the killings are going to take place. It is grimy and it is nasty, but still you can see things, right? It's not just dim and dull and dark. It completely sells the idea that this is nasty and horrible and scary, but but there is lighting on people's faces. You can see things. Like it really baffles me when when films just go all all visually dark for it, and this proves that you really don't have to. I thought the lighting was very good. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good as well. I didn't. Um... I mean, you don't have to like notice with me that it's so much better than the other Saw films. But mm. it's something that I'm so used to seeing from these. This was different. I I like the look of it, and I like the way that it moved. And again, you know, just thinking of the earlier film that we saw in the day, right? Like, uh, kind of, you you knew where you knew where you were. You were aware of people's relationships to each other. Mm. Kind of, you know, there was suspense built. There was excitement. You were kind of worried about when. What was going to happen when and would they get away with it? Like, mm. yeah, kind of, you know, all of those things I think were kind of really wonderfully handled. I think what was poor to me was, again, you know, the making it into a lesson in ethics and how to behave properly. I mean, mm. these people are being punished because they're bad, right? And I don't mind that. Like, you know, if you have a serial killer who's punishing people because they're bad, if that's the main idea of the film, fine, I, I'll go with it, right? Mm. But, you know, but at least kind of try to be consistent with it, yeah? If if kind of, if the ethics of this is important, then what crime people did in relation to what punishment they're getting should have been some consideration. I don't think it was in this film. Yes, the film builds in some irony, as again, it the, the series always has done. Um, it builds in some irony into the, the games, the traps, so that they, to some extent... Um, fit the crime so with the so we should say just for absolute clarification um, Jigsaw has gone to Mexico for this um, pioneering um, experimental medical treatment that will hopefully cure him of his rapidly oncoming death of terminal cancer um, and it appears to have gone very well and he finds out that it was a con these people were just taking his money and they try to escape he manages to capture them with the help of Amanda um, and punish them for this. Um, so their wrong is, you know, taking people's money and giving them all this false hope. And I think what's, you know, really effective about the opening is how it gives you all that hope yourself. You know, it, mm. it takes like, it takes a long time to get mm. to those deaths, but it pays off, it works. Mm. Um, and so the, 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 the people who've been in on this have been playing various roles. So, you know, one of them leads the whole thing, one of them is the anaesthetist, one of them... Uh, is kind of the host of the house. One of them is the the cabbie, and the anaesthetist is the one I was thinking of particularly who gets you know a particularly ironic mm. treatment because the the whole thing is that you're going to have to drill into your brain, and we've got all the tools for you. The only thing we haven't got for you is anaesthetic mm. and the pain that's going to cause and so on, which makes sense. Although the whole thing is that everyone's punishment is going to cause them cause them pain, so it's not it's not paying off all that specifically. Um, but there is an attempt uh, to do that. Um, but I mean, ultimately, I absolutely agree with you that when you see, you know, this girl's got to cut her leg off and get at the marrow, or the, she's just the guy's a... got to drill into his brain and pick a bit of it out, and you, then you see three minutes come up on the timer, you're like, well, obviously not. I know. You need, you need also, a minute just to process no, I thought that. it was the other thing, because I thought, you know, here's this, because you see her being like a sad hooker, really, right, who's probably you know, been roped into this for a little tiny bit of cash and all she's got to do is perform a role because that's all she's doing. She's not literally, 
she's not really into Fletcher giving an essay. Yeah, she's, she's just playing, playing a, a role. She's a nurse. So actually, you know, to be playing a nurse for minor change and your punishment is to have your leg cut off mm. and then dying, I think to me was like out of order. Really. It was it was a bit too much. But, uh, especially um, when you're le- when you're leaving the mastermind, the blood, blonde Aryan goddess mastermind of the whole thing, you know, uh, off scot-free practically. I just thought, yeah, the, the punishments weren't related to the crime in a film that structures it all around a kind of an ethics of it. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. And um, the morality of doing right and wrong. Yeah. The film that I think best um, handled uh, its it, the kind of internal logic of its ethics was Saw 6, which was um, heavily based on the uh, financial crisis happened. Mm. It was came out, I think, 2009, um, 2009, 2010. And it was, it was about Jigsaw's uh, health insurance guy. Basically, we can't get your health insurance. And then, you know, health insurance in America is dreadful and no one's got any money. And, um, and we're going to deny you for this, that and the other. And so he captures his health insurance guy and a bunch of people involved in it mm. and puts them through these games. And there was something, I, th- I think this was the one anyway, and there was a thing about how these five or six people were put into the games, and obviously they die one by one. Um, but, and I could, you could tell this early on, This there are various things in these films that you go, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen, I know how this is working, but the revelation will clarify it at the end. Um, if all of them had worked together during these games, then none of them would have had to die. They'd have all been injured to certain degrees, but they would have all survived. Mm. Whereas actually, when they fight each other, and they're selfish, and they panic, and then one of them dies every time, you know, mm. uh, which, which I liked, you know, that was like a genuine sort of, that, that was, that really was a moral lesson. Well, there was a, something behave. similar in this film, which is when the boy and what's his name? Jigsaw. Jigsaw. You know, they are both pulling the lever, right? In helping way, each helping other each not other. die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which actually, I'm, I'm surprising. The thing is, so this is something that, um, you know, you see coming in this, and particularly knowing that Jigsaw is not going to die in this. I've seen him die in another film. You know, mm. this is set before then, so you know there's a plan. You know he's getting out of this somehow. You know that when he's strapped himself into the machine, at least I think I know, um, that is part of the plan. He's not going to have to improvise here. It's part of the plan to get strapped into this, to get caught, and to make it mm. look like they're failing, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, leaving the mobile phone out, obviously part of the plan. They wouldn't do that by accident mm. and so on. Um, so, so that robs the film of a certain degree of tension because mm. Jigsaw's going to get out of this. He has to. But bringing the child in, who we've never seen before, mm. you might consider it cheaty and manipulative because it's a child who's being put in danger all of a sudden. Um, but that raises that tension again because all of a sudden there's someone here who I don't know is going to live. Yeah. You know, no, I thought that I thought that was good. Um, I I wanted to ask you because you were saying you know one is built around like the financial crisis or whatever, and I, I think I might be mixing up a couple of them, but yeah, they they do respond to some extent to externals, yeah, yeah, to the social. And I was wondering what you think this this film is responding to. I mean, I I did see it to some extent talking about some of the same things, um, but it is much more about you know rather than the kind of Healthcare crisis. The thing is, the um, 
Jigsaw's inability to get his health insurance to pay for his health is not going to save him in this film. It's very clear his cancer is terminal, and the only thing that purports to save him is a miracle cure. So it's not it, it's not doing a criticism of American healthcare. Um, I didn't see it as literally about healthcare, but I did see it as about you know rich, powerful people scamming the poor without consequences or the ill or yeah the ill i mean these people are definitely not poor although they've also definitely had to scrape the money together from whatever source they can Mm. but they are being scammed for hundreds of thousands of dollars but you get the feeling this is like people mortgaging their houses okay no but i mean just just to take it more metaphorically about a a Mm. lack of justice in our world Mm. right where kind of you know because the whole film is about retribution it's about setting to rights right and kind of we live in a world where we see like rich people and government officials and so on kind of, you know, scamming, stealing, yeah, kind of with no comeuppance at all. And I wonder if, you know, the film is like a kind of an imaginary resolution to those kind of real social problems that it is offering kind of, you know, a, a kind of a metaphorical or justice that doesn't actually exist in the real world. A, a vicarious justice through which we can enjoy seeing Setting the, world the bad rights. guys stuff. I, th- I think the film, uh, the series has has to some extent always had that. I think I, I, Jigsaw thing is he's one of those killers who you understand why he's doing it, mm. right? And it's just that you wouldn't actually do it yourself because it's insane. Mm. Um, but he has a point and he's hurting the right people or, mm. you know, capturing the right people. Um, at least, at least, I mean, he's he's we, gone through so many traps, so I can't remember all the people who are in them, but that's, that's definitely a, a thread. We live in a world where only a serial killer can get justice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, time is murky. And maybe that's the reason that, like, in those other films, you know, nothing looks nice, even the police department, because everything is dirty and corrupt. And the guy we see coming right at the end here in the mid-credits scene, Mm -hmm. um, Hoffman, is a cop. He's a detective who uh, helped track down the the con artists. Um, And, you know, I know that because, A, they do say I'm the detective, and, B, he's been in the other films. He's one of the apprentices. Yes, he's Um, seen somebody familiar. Yeah. Um, um, so I mean, I think I think this film is um, rewarding for people who know the Saw films. I don't think it's uh, hugely alienating to those who don't. It is telling fairly compactly its own story. Although clearly, if you're going to come to this with no knowledge, you're going to be faced with the fact that people definitely know who these characters are. I didn't find that a problem. No. And you know, to be honest, I mean, even though I have seen to the others, I basically have forgotten them. So. You know, and I didn't find it a problem in following this film. Mm. Um, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I, I think I enjoyed watching it, uh, certainly much more than I expected. I did find all the torture stuff quite gruesome to watch, uh, and I didn't like it really. Like, it's not my thing, mm. you know, but I accepted that. I knew that going in, really, yeah, that I yeah. wasn't going to like that. So I think for me, the biggest weakness in the film is. Well, the two things that I suppose I've already mentioned, which is, you know, the uh, calibration of punishment to crime, right? And the structural thing of, you know, why is it that, you know, kind of all the Mexicans get gruesome deaths, you know, kind of the black person, there's only one at the end gets a gruesome death, you know, and kind of, you know, the white people are either, you know, the, the villain or the hero in quotation marks, uh, uh, which 
you know, kind of are the protagonists, but don't suffer, and certainly not in proportion to the crime. Mm. Um, uh, I think it was interesting. I like the fact that there was no police investigation in this film. What well, I think is something that you tend to forget because the saw films are so dominated by the traps and the gore um, is that they are typically police procedurals of some sort, you mm. know, or the police are involved to some extent. First one was all about the police procedural. Um, and, and really so is the second, um, the police are always involved to some extent, like they, you know, you, you the films will be told uh, to some extent out of chronology. So, you know, you'll see the trap and you'll see um, the police, uh, coming across the body and they might be intercut and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, the police are on the trail and so on. Um, and very often there's some twists where it's like, it all happened 10 years ago. <laughs> the shit like that happens. Um, I mean, they've had some great chronological twists. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but here, there's none of that, right? The police aren't on the trail of this at all. This is personal revenge from, from Jigsaw. And again, in other films, he's had personal beefs with people that he sorted out with, with traps. But here, it's you know him and his accomplices tracking down the the, the people and and um, putting them through the games, and so the time that is spent or would otherwise be spent with the police chasing him down is here devoted really to him in that room. Well, it's devoted to making that opening segment longer than I think it otherwise would be, mm. um, and then it's devoted to him in that room talking to um, the, the victims. And to uh, Amanda, and you know, basically developing his character. This is what I, this is what I this is what I mean when I say the film's greatest strength is Tobin Bell, and this film is doing a very good job of making that clear because it is giving him all the opportunity to to be the character. Well, it's a wonderful actor story that you know someone who begins off Broadway and who does bit parts and crowd scenes and extra work and so on, you know, for 20, 30 years, then ends up his career as like, you know, leading a major kind of franchise, right? And he's 81 and, you know, he's got a great role now. Yeah. So, uh, and he's, he's great in it. So, so it's yeah. a wonderful actor's story. Yes, yeah. And I really like him. And, it's, and you just, it, you know, you, you think, what would the series have been? What, it would, what would it have become had he not turned out to be as good as he is? Because mm. like I say, at the start, he didn't, they didn't need him to be good. Mm. They were just lucky that he was, in a sense. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, the, and like I say, the films have gone to be just ridiculously profitable. You know, this is, this is the story with um, the most successful horror is it's extremely cheap and it makes big, big box office, mm. which is what these films have done. And, and, and to some extent, uh, you know, they used to make one a year. And then the the series kind of died around uh, Saw Nine, uh, mm. Saw Seven, I think. Um, that was the three D one, and mm. people went, "Oh, three D, you know, or everyone's getting in on three D right now." And because um, it it because it didn't fit in with you know the the premium three D films that were coming out at the time. It fit in much more with like Piranha three D and cheap <laughs> shit like that, which have their charms, but that's where it uh, fit. Yeah. Um, and I think people got a little bit tired of it, but um, I like the fact that there's room for it to keep going. Mm. And I like the fact that they haven't, like I say, I mean, I, I've said it once, but I reiterate, I like the fact that they haven't gone, let's just make this story more and more complicated than, than before. We can just fit in, a, you know, just this is the story of one of the times he treated people to his games mm. and it just fits in. Um, I, I like that very much. Mm. Um, yes. 
I mean, I think, again, just thinking aloud, but, you know, one of, one of the, the things that recurs in the film is just saying, well, you know, the worst thing you could do is like rob people, rob dying people of hope. And I wondered, is that really the worst thing you could do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, because some of the things that he does is like quite worth, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know, kind of have someone chop their own leg off and then kill them anyway, you know. Uh, um, anyway. Uh, but, but, then, but the point I suppose he would be making is the, the hope that you give is purely false. The hope I give that you can get out of this is true. It's going to be very hard to see a way to making that true. But it is true. Sure. You know? No, I get that. But again, kind of just, you know, kind of wondering how to read it as a, if there's any kind of commentary on society within that thing. Mm. Um, but anyway, I suppose, you know, I enjoyed it more than I expected. Uh, the gruesome things are still kind of really unpalatable and can slightly bewildering to me. Uh, <laughs> I did find more humor than... I have found in these in the past, mm. you know, and, you know, I thought it was kind of like really interesting filming. I didn't look at my watch once. So, yes, you were fully engaged, as was I. And I was slightly surprised by the by the, the structure and the, um, the the tone. Like I say, that, mm. that thing that this film actually has a tonal shift and mm. it's important that it does. And it works very well. And of the um, four previous films we've seen, including this, they're all horrors, mm. even including... A uh, haunting in Venice, to some extent, mm. has a horror element. Um, mm. Mystery, I wouldn't call it horror. It, 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 tries, it to tries. tries to jump you and scare you and stuff. Mm. It has an element or two, that's all I'm saying. Um, but this is by far the only one that um, has had a real effect. You know, And the ones that really do properly set out to scare you, The Nun 2 and um, The Exorcist Believer, we didn't find very scary at all. No, and that's of. not us being macho. But mind you, this, the scariness here came from the gruesomeness, really. It was, yeah. It's a different kind of scariness. Yes, yeah. so, but it does, it does get you, you know, you know, scratching at your skin going, oh! It definitely makes you go there so you can cover your eyes. Which but is, I'm not sure that's a compliment. No, it's exactly what I want, though. Well. So, <laughs> it is a compliment. It's what it, it's what it sets out to do, and I am, I am part of that audience. You know? All right. Well, on that note, we recommend it, Jan. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see it if, uh, if you get a chance. It's kind of, uh, it's really wonderful in a way to, to be immersed in this uh, horror. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at eavesdropmovies and bluesky, eavesdropping.bsky.social and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
uh, you were supposed the guy's ribs were hooked into a machine, and if he could cut off enough bits of flesh or whatever, then mm. he'd get out. Um, but he obviously failed to. His ribs came open. It looked fantastic. And then the police go and see this cadaver, and they realise these things are hooked in. Like he would have to do surgery on himself to get out of this. He can't just. You mm. can't leave. So no matter what happened, he was going to die. And that's when you realise this isn't Jigsaw. Mm. This is someone else who is not doing it properly. All oh, right. So, yeah. <laughs> I did actually come into one of the films. Uh. 